Revelation uh, chapter 6 is where we'll be uh, this morning. However, before we dive into that uh, portion of Scripture, um, we're going to do something a little bit, uh, I don't know if it's much different, but uh, typically churches will take one Sunday out of the, the month of January and call it their Vision Sunday. And they'll really hone in on what God is, is directing them to do. And, and, um, uh, but I, I thought sometimes um, uh, big bites like that are kind of dangerous uh, because we tend to uh, forget what the church is all about, what the church has been called to. And so throughout the month of January, um, I'm going to take the first half of our time together uh, before we get into Revelation, and I'm going to lay out uh, vision and direction that I believe that, that the Lord is calling us to go. Now, uh, none of these that we'll be talking about throughout, the, throughout this month, I, I have not created them. They're nothing new because it's straight from Scripture. Uh, and so what we'll be doing is we'll be looking at God's call for us as a a community church, uh, and where he wants us to stay in, where he wants us to be in. Um, so with that being said, uh, here's a bite-sized piece of where God, I believe, wants us to be. Uh, and throughout the next couple uh, of weeks, well, more than a couple of weeks, you're going to hear uh, me say, we will be a church that, and then there will be something that follows. And so uh, the first one we're going to look at uh, and, and it's not long. We'll get to Revelation. Don't worry. Um, that, there's two reasons I actually want to do this. One uh, is because I really wanted to get back into Revelation. I, I didn't want to take a whole sermon to go over vision. I want to get back into God's Word, what we're studying, and I hope you do as well. Uh, but two, like I mentioned, bite size is better. Uh, and so your bite size piece, uh, as far as vision this morning, uh, is number one, we will be a church that stays in Scripture. We will be a church that stays in Scripture. Joshua 1.8, it says, Study this book of instruction carefully. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. Now, uh, I hope you know, uh, or if you've been here for any length of time, we want to be a church that remains steadfast in Scripture. We want to be founded upon the Word of God. We don't want to be founded upon uh, human opinion or man's opinion. We want to know what Scripture says, and the only way to know what Scripture says is if we get into Scripture. So we're going to be in Scripture uh, this year, the following year, the year after, so that doesn't change. You can already uh, guess what it's going to be for 2024. The first one is going to be the same. We'll be a church that stays in Scripture, being careful to do everything that God instructs us to do through His Word. We will be a church that does not depart from the Word of God. We will be a church that studies the Scripture. Uh, to, to study the Scripture means we dig into it together, whether that's uh, on Sunday mornings or whether that's on, on our men's nights or women's uh, group nights or even in youth group or even in children's ministry. Listen, we will be a church that studies Scripture. Well, why, why do we want to be a church that studies Scripture? Because God's Word, from beginning to end, is all about Jesus. Listen to Luke chapter 24, verse 27. It says, In beginning with Moses, so 
Jesus has already uh, resurrected and he's on the road uh, uh, to, to Emmaus with two of the disciples. And the disciples, remember, they didn't know who it was walking with them. And Jesus starts with Moses and it says all the prophets. And he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Scripture is about Jesus. And whatever book of the Bible we're studying, our desire should be to see Jesus. How do you see Jesus in the book of Revelation? That's a little bit easier to see because it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. But what about Leviticus? How's that one? We'll see Jesus. In Genesis, we'll see Jesus. In every book of the Bible, we will see Jesus. Our desire should be to see Jesus. And not only that, but also to understand that God's word is a guide for us. It it, it is a light for our path. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. So we will be a church that stays in Scripture. We will be a church that studies Scripture. And we will be a church that uses the word of God to guide our decisions. Everything we do here at this church must line up with the word of God. If it doesn't, we are in sin. We are in error. Our worship, our offering, our study of scriptures, our meetings, our small groups, anything we do, our outreach endeavors, it must line up with what God has called us to do within his word. How we run the church. There's many churches that run the church with a business business mentality. Uh, We run the church based off of how God wants his church to be run. Not with a business mentality, but with what does God's word say mentality. Let's look at scripture. Let's look at the book of Acts. For if we deviate from the word, we are in error. We will be a church that uses the word of God to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Now, you all, if you've placed your faith in Christ, you are a saint. Uh, I, I know it doesn't maybe seem like it all the time, but scripture says that we are saints. Now, don't walk around church saying, introducing yourself as saint so-and-so. Don't, don't do that. But we want to be a church uh, that uses the word of God to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Now, our, our church leadership is uh, elder and pastor. Uh, that's how the church churches run. Uh, but our job, the elder's job and the pastor's job in any church, is not to do everything. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, it says this, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And how do we do that? The primary way for elders and pastors to build up the saints for the work of the ministry is through the word of God. Our job is to help you understand the word of God, to to give it to you in in bite-sized pieces. I love when people put the cookies on the bottom shelf because I have an easier time reaching them. Don't you? And so that's what we want to do here. We don't want to put things over your head where you can't, uh, you can't reach for it. We want to simply teach the word of God simply. So we will also be a church that loves the word of God. Psalm 119.47, it says, For I delight in your commands because I love them. My question for you this morning is, do you love the word of God? 
Is it sweeter to you than, than the sweetest of honey that you've ever tasted before? Is it sweeter to you than anything else in your life? What is your craving for in life? Is it the word of God because you love the word of God or is it for something else? We will be a church that focuses on expository preaching. Uh, meaning, in case you're wondering what expository preaching means, it means that we will go book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, line by line through the word of God. Acts chapter 20, verse 27, Paul speaking, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. We will not skip over the uncomfortable parts of Scripture. We'll address God's view on abortion and homosexuality and racism and political leaders and parties and suffering and, and sin and, and all of those things that we find in Scripture that kind of make us squirm in our seats sometimes. We will address these hard parts of Scripture. Uh, and there's no doubt we will because if we study the, the word verse by verse, we're going to hit some of these hard-hitting portions of Scripture. So the bottom line is this. Where I believe God is calling us to be as a church is, is to be in the Word. We will be a church that stays in the Word, obeys the Word, and loves the Word. That is God's heartbeat for any church, is that we would be a body of believers, a part of the body of the believers that love the Word of God. I think you've heard me say it enough, and some of the other guys... Uh, not just to be hearers of the word, but to be doers as well. Remember, Revelation talks about blessed is he who keeps the word, meaning who actually does the word, who applies it to their life. Now, this is not a great suggestion book. It is God's commands to us. It is God's principles for life for us. It talks about marriage and uh, parenting and, and, and singleness. It talks about everything that you and I will, will face as believers and so we will be a church that is in Scripture. Amen? Amen? Speaking of Scripture, go ahead and stand as we read Revelation chapter 6, verse 9 through 17 this morning. So you got that first one? We will be a church that stays in the Word, Scripture? Yeah. Good job. There will be a quiz after we're all said and done. Um, I know, sorry. <laughs> Verse 9 through 17 this morning. Uh, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of the, their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth, the full moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, and the great ones, and the generals, and the rich, and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, 
And hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? Lord, this is your word. And God, we desire to be a church that stays in your word, that stays in the scriptures, Lord. We know that if we depart, Lord, we are in error and we fend for ourselves ultimately. But Lord, we know that your word is a, a lamp and a light for us. Lord, would you help us to see Jesus in this passage of scripture this morning? Speak to our hearts, minister to us in the way that we need to be ministered to. Help us not to reject it, but help us to accept how you want to minister to us. If anybody is in sin this morning, Lord, I pray that you would free them from it through your word. God, we give you all the glory for what you're going to do in our midst right now. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. You can all have a seat. So we've gone through seal one, seal two, seal three, seal four. And we're getting closer, if you remember, to the actual title deed of the earth from God, the Father being opened. Uh, Just a little bit of recap. Um, John, who recorded everything in Revelation, is in heaven. He is in the Spirit. He is before the throne of God, and he sees God on the throne. And in God's right hand is a seal, uh, is a scroll with seven seals. Uh, The first seal uh, resembles the Antichrist. It's symbolic of the Antichrist. The second seal is a time of war. The third seal is a time of inflation and famine on the earth. And the fourth seal is death and Hades are knocking at people's doors. The good news for us is that if you're a believer in Christ, you won't have to experience any of these things. Because I believe the church will be raptured before any of this takes place. And as if you remember, the Antichrist will come on the scene and he will bring three and a half years of peace. And then he will pull the plug on that peace and it will be three and a half years of war like the earth has never seen before. But the good news is is that either you die and I die and we're present with the Lord before all this takes place or we're raptured. Uh, Either way... I don't believe the follower of Christ will have to endure any of this. Now, verse 9 through 11 is where we get into the uh, fifth and uh, sixth seal. In verse 9 through 11, there seems to be a transition in the text where John is seeing all these events happening, uh, right? The war, the pestilence, the famine. He's seeing death in Hades. You remember they were symbolized by these horses, a white horse, a red horse, a sickly pale horse. And John, it almost seems his attention is uh, shifted to something else in uh, the heavenly realm, so to speak. He's uh, brought into this place where he's seeing this conversation happen between those who have been martyred for their faith and the Lord himself. 9 through 11, it says, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? The souls of those who had been slain, John is seeing this group of people cry out to the Lord, 
but the souls of those who had been slain, why were they murdered? Well, John gives us the answer in Scripture right here. It says they were slain for the word of God and for the testimony that they had borne. They were murdered on the account of the word of God. And, and I believe these believers are not any one of the past martyrs that have been martyred in history or, or the ones who will be martyred before uh, the great tribulation. I believe these are the ones who will be martyred in the great tribulation, who will be uh, saved. Yes, there will still be a time of saving in the tribulation. God doesn't stop saving people. He gives endless, uh, seemingly endless opportunities for people to, to give their lives to Christ. And even in the tribulation, we'll see in the next chapter next week that he has 144,000 witnesses go out and share the gospel. Uh, think 144,000 Billy Grahams all over the place. Uh, but these people are those who had been slain during the tribulation. And they cry out with a loud voice. They, they ask a question. They say, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? So what were they saying? They, they were saying essentially this, Lord, we know that vengeance belongs to you. We know that you will repay. According to Romans twelve nineteen, it says, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Their question was not, God, will you repay? It's not, is it within your realm, so to speak, to repay? It's, it's not a matter of if, but when. They know that God will have vengeance upon those who have martyred them, but it's just a matter of when. When is it going to be time that uh, vengeance is taken upon the Christ-rejecting world? Remember, these people uh, were martyred and slain because of their stance in the Word of God and the, the witness that they had borne about ultimately Jesus Christ. And as we get further into Revelation, we will see that the wicked are made to drink of their own blood. Now, that sounds pretty fierce if you ask me, but God will repay those who have martyred His saints Revelation 16, 6, it says, For they have shed the blood of the saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. Our God is a God of justice. He, he will repay. Uh, but this ultimately is God's wrath poured out on a Christ-rejecting world. It's called the, the lex talionis. It, it means what they have done to God's people God will do to them. These are people that will not have anything to do with Christ. And I believe as we look at how these people were martyred and how their, their question was, when will you avenge yourself against those who have martyred us? There's something in it for us. Uh, has anyone ever wronged you before? Yeah, we've all been wronged before. Can I encourage you with this? It is not your duty to get back at them for what they have done. If you are a believer in Christ, you leave it up to the Lord. How should you respond when someone mistreats you or persecutes you or belittles you or you fill in the blank? Number one, stand firm in the faith that you have in Christ. Number two, leave the matter to the Lord. Let him handle that person. He knows that person better than you know that person. He can deal with the intentions of their heart better than you can. 
And so our job is not to play the role of the Holy Spirit. It's to let the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit in leading this person to conviction and helping them see how they have wronged you or whoever is in that situation. It's ultimately a call for us to take the higher road. It's ultimately saying this, even though you hurt me, even though you have done unspeakable things to me, I am choosing to act like Jesus to the best that I can. We have to understand that we're not going to get it perfect. We're going to want to take revenge at times, but listen, leave the revenge to the Lord. It's saying I'm entrusting my soul to Him alone and know, know that the wrong that has been done to me, God will handle that person. See, your response and my response to the person that has wronged us is our responsibility. You are responsible for the response that you give to somebody who has hurt you. And I know there have been people that have hurt you uh, before. But listen, God knows how to deal with these people. Now, it's interesting to note in Revelation that in this chapter, these that have been martyred, they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer. And then this is ultimately God's response to uh, these martyrs. He says, until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. So it's a twofold response. They ask a question and they get a response back. And, and God, uh, John being in, in this heavenly scene, here is what the response is. And uh, it, it must have been something along the lines of, okay, here's your robe. Here's your white robe. And let's understand that first. That signified that white robe that they belong to God. First and foremost, God assures them that, hey, you belong to me. Here's a white robe signifying that. Revelation 7, 13 through 14. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come from? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So God gives them the white robes to assure them that they belong to him. Uh, but it is, isn't it interesting, uh, in Revelation uh, 7 and in Revelation 6, uh, that they, their robes were dipped in blood. Now, if you have kids and they get scuffed up on the playground and they're wearing a white shirt or something, you know that blood stains and, and the chances of saving that shirt or that the shorts or socks or whatever, if they're white, it's hard to come by. Uh, but in this case, the blood doesn't stain. It, it washes away. It, it takes away uh, the, 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 the sin, if, if you will. It's interesting to note because there's power in the blood of Jesus. To clean us up from all the wrong things that we have ever done. And the blood of Jesus, listen, it washes away all the filth that we've ever accumulated. 1 John 1.7, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. All means all. And when you give your life to Christ, when we say, Lord, I surrender over to you, it's not like God is saying, I don't know if I should clean some of your life up or all of it. I'm not sure. It might be based on merit. No, it's based upon what Jesus did for you. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Normally blood stains, but the precious blood of the Lamb washes away our sin. Amen? 
You know, the next part is the, the twofold response is, okay, here's a white robe. I want to assure you that you belong to me. But the second part is, you got to wait a little bit. Rest and wait a little bit. Why would they have to wait a little bit? Well, there would be more who would be martyred. There would be more who would be slain for the word of God and the, the testimony that they had of Jesus Christ. And God is essentially telling this group of martyrs that is before him, he's, he's saying, listen, there's going to be more. There's going to be more people who give their life to Christ, who accept my son and what he did. And there are going to be people that will not move when it comes to their conviction of who Christ is. And they will be martyred for that. And until that time, hold on, rest a little longer until that time comes. Now that's the fifth seal. You remember how many seals there, there are? There's seven. We're at the sixth now. And the sixth seal is in Revelation 12, uh, Revelation 6, verse 12 through 17. Simply put, this next seal, the sixth seal, is the onset of the second coming of the Messiah. Uh, all of these are going to take place before Christ steps foot on the earth. Now, remember the difference between the rapture and the second coming of Christ. The rapture is where Jesus calls his church up. Jesus does not step foot on the earth, right? Then he calls his church, and his church is with him, and that's where uh, the, the marriage of the Lamb takes place. But the second coming of Christ is when Jesus comes back with his church to judge the world of their Christ-rejecting position. But the onset of it, this is all the onset of it, until God finally opens the scroll, this sixth one points us to how there will be celestial disturbances that happen. 12 through 17, when he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood. The stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Now, many of the Old Testament prophets used uh, language like John was using. They, they would prophesy about these celestial disturbances or natural uh, uh, disasters that would happen. In Joel 2, verse 10 through 11, it says, The earthquakes before them, the heavens tremble. Now, he's not talking about the heavens that you and I may think about where God is enthroned. He is talking about the sky and how stars would fall. The heavens tremble, the sun and the moon are darkened. Uh, the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord utters his voice before his army, for his camp is exceedingly great. He who executes his word is powerful. Amen? Yeah. For the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? And so Joel prophesied about this. He says there's going to be some catastrophic things that happen. And yes, John here is using a type of poetic language. But however, he, he's using it in a way that says, this is what I saw. I, I saw a great earthquake. I saw a sun becoming black. I saw the full moon like blood. The stars of the sky fell. Man, we trip out when there's an eclipse that happens. Can you imagine what it would look like if the whole moon became red like blood? John is seeing some pretty incredible things, but there will be people that are witness to this. The awesome day of the Lord, for the day of the Lord is great, Joel says. 
John says the sky was vanished like a scroll. It was rolled up and mountains and islands were removed from their place. I don't think any one of us have seen a mountain picked up and thrown away. But not only that, it says the kings of the earth, the great ones, the generals, the rich, the powerful, and everyone, the slaves and free, do you see what they do? They hide themselves. They request that the mountains and rocks, the very ones that would be thrown away, they request that these things would fall on them. Look at verse 16. It says, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us. Who are they talking to? They're talking to mountains and rocks. They're that desperate to be away from the wrath of God. They say, fall on us and hide us from the the face of him who is seated on the throne, from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand it? They hide themselves. Why? Because this day, the day of the Lord, is so fierce, will be so fierce, that all they will want to do is hide from the destruction about to take place. They think that is the best option rather than turning their lives over to Christ. They think, let's just let the mountains and rocks fall upon us. They say, follow us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne. You know the call to humanity is for humanity to seek the face of God. It, it, it says in scripture, uh, you have told me to seek your face. And David saying, Lord, your face do I seek. Listen, uh, we're, we're supposed to have a relationship with Jesus. But many of us have rejected that. Oh, we know what Jesus has, has accomplished for us. We know that on the cross, our penalty was paid in full, that we are no longer, we, we get that, but we haven't truly accepted Christ as our Savior. We think just because we have the knowledge of what he's done, that that's enough. It's not. Until you actually believe by faith that Jesus is Savior, then you will be saved. We are responsible for the knowledge that we have when it comes to Jesus. And rather than repenting, now let's look at these people for a minute. Who else could do these things that, that John records? No, no, nobody else could do that. Nobody else could have such a great and awesome day like the Lord would bring upon the earth. And so the, I'm vaguely certain, fairly certain, that they know who Jesus is. Yet they still reject him. They say, no, I don't need Christ. I don't need to be forgiven of my sins. I can figure out another way. Well, in their desperation, because they know they're wrong, they know that the end is near for them and the end does not look like heaven, they ask for mountains and rocks to hide them. Rather than acknowledging that they need to be saved, they would rather hide from the Lord or at least try to. This group of people would eventually be eternally separated from the one on the throne and receive their due punishment for rejecting Christ. It is no saving act for them to hide under mountains and rocks. The rocks will fall and it will only be a way to usher them into eternal damnation. 
And these people will seek refuge. They'll say, well, let's find our refuge in these rocks, not the rock, not the rock that we sang about. Let's find refuge in the mountains and, and let's make sure that we can hide from this terrible day. They will seek to hide themselves, but they'll fall short. Here's the application for us as we close this chapter. If you're seeking refuge in anyone or anything other than Christ, you are ultimately in the most unsafe place in the world. The safest place to be is in Christ as our refuge. These individuals would have rocks fall on them and then rather than simply turning to Christ, they would want to go through the pain of the mountains and rocks falling on them. They're stiff-necked. They're, they're stubborn people. That is what, remember, the children of Israel were described as. They're stiff-necked and stubborn people. One minute they're all for me, then the next minute they're thinking that they can do their own thing and figure it out in their own way. I, hence why they were in the wilderness far longer than they should have been. They were stiff-necked and stubborn people, and, and it described them, and I, and I know it describes these people that are just stubborn they're in their resistance towards Christ. And maybe that's some of us this morning. Christ has been beckoning. He's been saying, come to me. Come to me and I will give you rest. And we're like, no. Go take a nap. Pull the blankets over me. I'll find rest that way. Listen, you will not find rest that your soul needs in a blanket. Listen, Jesus' invitation still stands to come to him and find forgiveness and freedom from sin, death, and hell. Listen to this. There's a rock to which we can still come for refuge. That rock is a person, the rock of ages, our Lord Jesus Christ. There is both salvation and security in the cleft of that rock. Jesus spoke of the day when their cry would go up to the mountains and rocks then they shall begin to say to the mountains, Jesus speaking, fall on us and to the hills cover us. But nature's hiding places are inadequate to shield anyone from the wrath of the Lamb. O oh, you who still reject him, turn to Christ at once. Receive him while there is still time for the day of his judgment must surely come. I love what God does in his grace and his love and his mercy is he still gives opportunity for people to receive and respond to the gospel. Some suggest that it's taken this long for Christ to come back for his church because he wants as many people to be saved. One of my pastors always says can you imagine if you knew the last person to be saved like and they weren't saved yet you would go up to him and get saved already it's time to go but listen there's opportunity and there's opportunity today uh, while there's still breath in your lungs God is saying listen if you have not decided to give your life over to me do it today don't wait 
Don't put it off any longer because in him and him alone you will find refuge. You will find rest. You will find freedom and forgiveness. You will find everything that you need in Christ and Christ alone. So why are you waiting? Listen, he died on the cross for our sins. He paid a price that you and I deserve to pay. Jesus, the sinless, perfect, spotless Lamb of God, became the perfect sacrifice for our sins so we could be forgiven, so we could be set free and have the hope of heaven. Listen, don't seek refuge in anyone or anything else except Christ. Run to him as the rock. Run to him as your refuge. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you are a refuge. Lord, I think about so many instances where we have made idols out of the refuges, refuges of this, this world. The things that we think we can find security in, God, we've made them to be idols. Thinking that we can find security in our, our relationships or raising our kids or our finances, Lord, the only secure place is in you. Lord, I pray for anyone in here this morning that has been running to other things to try and find refuge for their souls. Lord, I pray that they would run to you, that you would forgive them for running anywhere else and that they would recognize and repent and turn to you. Jesus, thank you for being the rock of ages that we can hide in, our shelter, our strong tower. Lord, may we continually run to you. Thank you for this new year, Jesus. Help us to be a people that are devoted to seeking your face above all else. Lord, you called us to seek your face. And our response is, Lord, your face will we seek. Give you all the glory and all the praise and ask that you would do a work within us, through us, Help us to be more like Jesus. And it's in your great name that we pray. Amen.